Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the podcast, Ignite Our Catalyst. Today, I had a really good time chatting with one of my bestest friends, Jay Bamimore. Jay is a software developer, a Muay Thai fighter, and an avid weightlifter slash powerlifter. I got to learn more about what it was like to go through the University of Waterloo studying a STEM degree, and when he ultimately made that shift from software engineering to computer science, what that was like for him in terms of making that decision. I also got to learn more about what a software developer actually does. I hear this job a lot, of course, tech being a big industry uh, and having a lot of software developers, but I never knew what they did, so he got to shed some light on what he does in his job or what that job is like in general. Jay's also known as someone who is very level-headed, and I finally got to learn more about why people call him a robot and where he got his calm temperament from. And Jay and I are known to have these sort of uh, conversations a lot, so it was really nice to finally have one of them recorded for you guys all to listen to. So we hope you enjoyed this next episode with my good, good friend, Jay Bamamore. All right, thanks for coming in. Thank you. And thanks for hosting us in your apartment. Oh, no, no worries. Thanks for coming. Thanks for <laughs> accommodating for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a good place, and I, I wish we hang out here more. Uh, you should, my uh, name is in the Wi-Fi. Your name is in the Wi-Fi <laughs> password. Hope I'm not giving away too much information. <laughs> and this is, the, this is the second time or third time I've been here. And we're fourth like, time. Fourth time. I've, I've counted. I was like, oh, shit, this is the fourth time now yeah. it's coming over. And we're, and we're the best of friends. <sighs> I guess life can, life can be a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> We're all busy people, so I really appreciate you uh, carving out some time in your day to to um, join us on this podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, so some of these questions, uh, I think we may have talked about in passing, right? Uh, but because we talk about so many different things every time we hang out, which mm-hmm. makes it really fun, it'd be nice to just kind of start from the beginning. So oh, yeah, for um, sure. I don't think you're Canadian. Oh, no, so, I'm not. <laughs> um, where are you from? So I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia in the Middle East spent all like 18 years there like middle school high school that whole jazz and then when it was time to start applying for universities i was looking at a bunch of different countries i did the british system back when i was in saudi so the uk is one of those possibilities but i was not really interested in doing that so i looked at what some of my family members had done and then my mother had gone to school in canada as well she went to uh, school in winnipeg my sister also went to school in Canada at uh, Western and London. So I said to myself, okay, maybe Canada is probably like a good place for me to go to as well. A lot of my family members are there. They've gone to school there. It's a good education system. So then I started applying to Canada and looked into Canadian cities. And then I was like, holy, McGill sounds like a good place because Montreal seemed really appealing on, uh, based on what I had read because I'd not been to Montreal before. I had also heard things of Vancouver. Uh, shout out to Vancouver. I was like, UBC. But my mom quickly shut down that idea. She's like, no, we're in the West Coast. <laughs> West Coast, best coast. West man. Coast, best coast. Any friends uh, who know me know I love Yeah. <laughs> out of context, Nav and I have uh, hung out in Vancouver actually more often than we hang out in this apartment. Yeah, man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, so it was somewhere like in Ontario, Quebec. So McGill had been the first choice. Then I looked around in Ontario. Didn't really, for some reason, I still don't know why till today. U of T or University of Toronto rather was not like somewhere I even thought of at the time which in, which in hindsight I'm always like how did I not think of the University of Toronto but given that I was interested in like math and physics a friend of mine had reached out to me who went to school uh, I believe uh, in uh, Oshawa I was like oh there's a school called uh, Waterloo, uh, University of Waterloo in Waterloo and um, it's a really cool I'm like what does Waterloo have and at the time I just like searched up Waterloo and then of course Blackberry came up like that's where the headquarters were. I was like, oh, that's where uh, Blackberry's headquarters are. I'd heard about a place in Canada like that. 
So then I applied, and then one thing led to another. Then, yeah, Waterloo became uh, my school of choice and the school I got admitted to. So Waterloo obviously is a really good school. Yes. But you had not applied knowing that it was as good as it was? Oh, I had, I just heard it was good for people that are interested in like STEM, uh, which are like the sciences, technology, engineering, and math. So I said to myself, oh, yippee, I'll, I'll apply. Yeah. And... Um, once you uh, applied and got in, um, actually, no, let's step back. Uh, what programs did you apply to? So I applied to, um, so back of this, actually, to, before we uh, talk about where I applied to, I had, um, around the time, it was like end of 2010, beginning of 2011, I was really like, yeah, into physics and math at the time. And around that time, NASA had been launching the Mars rover, Curiosity, into Mars. And I was just like, oh, man, that's really cool that with sciences and technology engineering, we're able to do all that. But I had to sit back and think, what is the most exciting thing about this whole project? And I was like, I think it's the fact that it's an unmanned vehicle going into space. So obviously there's something controlling it. At the time, I didn't have enough nomenclature to know it was the software that was doing that. But I knew it was like something, you know, man, the man had made, but can work on its own, something autonomous. So then I looked into a bunch of programs. And the reason why McGill even stood out was McGill had an aeronautical engineering program which is something I was really interested in. I was like, holy shit, you get to like work with like spacecrafts and things of that nature. That was actually what I applied to in McGill when I, McGill was my first choice. And then back in Waterloo, they didn't have that program. So I had looked at some similar programs. So I had applied to mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, and software engineering. Those were the three programs I applied to back then. And then once you got in, um, and just in terms of personal uh, reasons homesickness has been a um, overarching theme right. across a lot of the podcasts and especially the the last one with Siobhan moving from Saudi Arabia to here that is to me a crazy kind of shift <laughs> culturally and you know starting up a new life on your own in an environment that you don't know much about maybe just because it's you know I like around halfway around the world kind of thing mm-hmm. so what was that like Actually, I think the adventure in me found it like exciting. Um, I think if you look at but in the history of Saudi Arabia, you'll find that there's a lot of themes around like nomads and people like wandering, I guess. So maybe me being born there, I <laughs> had the spirit of like a nomad somewhere in me. And it was very exciting to like move somewhere else. I didn't, a lot of people said, are you homesick? Do you miss home? And yes, I did. I had some, I guess I had more issues at home that maybe were a bit harder to deal with. Uh, my family was going through some stuff at the time. So it was hard to kind of be focused in school and in the engineering program while I was away. But in terms of actually being in a different country and living there it was really exciting. Meeting new people, talking about different things, you know, different weather. You know, people always say, Canada's really cold compared to Saudi. How do you find? I'm like, I don't mind actually. Like, the different weather is part of the experience. So. That's how that felt like. Yeah, so no homesickness at all. So you're one of those odd ones that were just very adaptive, um, which I think is something we're going to talk about later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what program did you end up getting accepted into at Waterloo? Right. Um, and then what did, um, what did that turn into? Right. I can't remember if I got rejected from mechanical or electrical, but I did get accepted into software. And I remember software was ended up becoming my first choice out of the three uh, so and with software, I guess you were also accepted into computer science. I think that's how it worked back then. Um, and then, yeah, software engineering was the program I got accepted into and ended up choosing. What was that like? Because I, 
I mean, psychology and just people wouldn't even necessarily think of psychology being a difficult field. Mm-hmm. And I was just chatting uh, with a friend about this recently that, yeah, there was like, you know, peaks of, of work, like midterms and exams, but it didn't seem like a very overwhelming experience to be in psychology. Right. Whereas I don't get that sense that uh, being in engineering is like that. Or computer science, you know, I, I kind of cluster that together. Right. Well, uh, so software engineering, let me put my shoes back in, back in that time. I guess I was still more overwhelmed. Well, not even overwhelmed, but more excited with the fact like, oh, university now, you know, away from home on your own, you know, living the independent life to some degree. I guess that was what took up more of my mind at the time. But as when it came to crunch time, the workload was was pretty significant. I know, I remember we always had these pictures that we'll share on Facebook at the time being like, oh, look at my class schedule from 8 a.m. to like 5 p.m., you know, with uh, 30 minutes or sometimes no minutes of break like in between. And that was something where it's always like, ah, we're busy, we're busy. Um, it was it was pretty uh, challenging. I I did prepare myself mentally for a program that was, because I'd heard a lot of, I did, I did my research beforehand of how much time do I need to spend and a lot of people are like, oh, it's a, they're very time-consuming programs. You have a lot of like labs and stuff you have to do from the engineering side. So the software engineers did take some like electrical engineering courses. And then on the computer science side, you also have to take, take some math courses. So it was, a, it was a, like the program is like between two faculties. It's uh, part of the faculty of engineering and the faculty of mathematics. So you did have to kind of split your time and resources between the engineering buildings and the math buildings. So all that was kind of time-consuming for sure. And some parts were challenging. There were some like late labs, you know, sometimes I have to do a lab over again if you want to get the marks. I guess when you have friends and peers maybe in other programs that didn't have those time-consuming schedules, I mean, still, you know, busy programs in their own rights, but maybe they had more time on the weekends or during the day. You kind of felt like, oh, I want to go here too, but I have a lab like later this evening at like six in the evening or something, so. Was there any preparation from your school in Saudi Arabia Um, in terms of preparing you uh, mentally for the workload or was that a lot of um, self agency and ownership to kind of research and figure out that hey this is what it's going to be like that you're going to be doing eight to fives plus labs in the evenings and that's going to be your life for the next couple years well yes and no i mean the pro i mean the the curriculum i did back in saudi was the a levels and o levels which is the british curriculum so it's kind of like a standardized test kind of like the ap's or sat's so in terms of the material and content i think they did a really good job because when i remember in first year a lot of the material was kind of like review for me so that really helped significantly i I think yeah that should be like a disclaimer like significantly helped me because these were like some things people were learning for the first time i'd already learned before so that was a bit of an advantage for sure. Um, in terms of the workload, back when I was in high school, I also was on like a few sports teams. So I guess that indirectly helped me with having a busy schedule and knowing what a busy schedule was like, because you had like, you know, like you had your high school duties and then you had also like, you know, your sports like teams duties. So I was always just busy. So when I came to university, all I really did was school for the first year. I mean, I did some like exercise training here and there but nothing for a sports team, which is a very time-consuming task. So I guess that kind of played out nicely where I was able to still survive the insane hours. So software engineering is what you got accepted into, but I think you switched degrees partway through? Right, right. So I did my first uh, year in software engineering. Um, 
that had its own challenges in its own ways. Um, some, I guess, little failures here and there. But I think the main thing that made me switch was just the realization that the program is not really what I thought it was. And if I continued it, I think I'll be doing a lot more work for what I wanted to do, if that kind of makes sense. I don't know how to really say it, but um, I didn't really see myself doing any of the things I learned, say, in the hardware courses and things like that. That might have just been the entrepreneur in me speaking at the time before I knew what entrepreneurship really was. So I said, um, this is not really for me. It's a great program and like really good program, really prepares you for the world. But I said, I do like, I do want to do something software related, but maybe not this program. And then computer science is just like next door. <laughs> it's really like, for all intents and purposes, very similar program, especially as you go later on in the years, a lot of the courses you take are very similar courses, but just with a significantly less like workload because you don't have to do the engineering component to it as well. And that opens up doors for you either doing like other extracurriculars if you like, or even taking another major, which I ended up doing actually in the process. Was it a difficult decision to make to uh, go from software to computer science? Like, did you feel like I'm quitting and you're a very, you know, goal oriented person. So you look like someone, if you set someone you want to do it. So you, did you feel like, man, I'm quitting and, and this doesn't feel good? Oh, you know, or was it not a struggle at all? Right. I thought that at first a little bit. I think as humans, it's hard to not think that there's some element, anything that requires, I think, change. There's a part of you that says, why are you changing in the first place? Why are you changing this about yourself? Why are you stopping now? So I think there's a little bit of that, like, doubt. But I felt like, in, like, in retrospect, I'm very happy I made the decision because I think it would have been a little immature for me to stay in it for the sake of either, you know, holding up a facade or, you know, not giving up, you know, or like, keep going after and after. So there was a part of me that really was reluctant to. I talked to a lot of my friends at the time being like, hey, I'm thinking of switching. Like, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. And I know they all they all meant well, for sure. And uh, I mean, I'm still friends with them today. So it's not like, a, oh, if you leave, this is it. You're out of the group. But there was a part of me that felt like, ah, oh, maybe I should stay. Maybe I should stick this out. But then when I talked to this, the, um, the advisors, some of the academic advisors, they had given me a lot more insight than you, having been in the Canadian education system, having worked in Canada, they told me, they asked me some questions like, what are my goals? What do I want to achieve out of this degree? What do I want to end up working as in the future? I'm a grad school, all these different things. And when they started giving me all this advice and when I talked to them, they said, honestly, apart from the feeling you might feel about like, you know, giving up or prestige or whatnot, maybe the computer science program might be better suited for you and like suit your goals and your needs. Then I looked into it, thought about it a bit more. And then I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I went to the advisors again, told them, like, I've made my decision, and yeah, then ever since then, like, there was no looking back. Although the funny thing is I did run into a lot of my, like, classmates in, over the years because we take the same courses, like, the computer science courses in, like, third year and onwards you do, like, have, or even second year, too, a lot of similar courses. Given the jobs you've done uh, up until this moment, did you have to choose different jobs because of the computer science degree versus had you stuck out software engineering? Or was it in fact that both those degrees could have prepared you equally as well for the jobs you've done in the past? I think for them, given the jobs I have done particularly, most of them being like software development, software engineering jobs, I think both degrees prepared me just as well. Um, a lot of, um, sometimes people outside the field may not know, but a lot of the things you end up doing at work are actually self-thought too. Like, I mean, school prepares you very well for knowing the fundamentals and, you know, the basics and the concepts. But when you get to the workplace, it's like a different league altogether. 
there are, you have to not only have a good engineering sense, you have to have a very good product sense as well. So you have to start thinking about not just like, oh, in theory, I learned that this happens. You have to also think, how does this like affect the product I'm building? So right, because there's a lot of other moving parts. There are a lot, in exactly, what you're a lot of with. other moving yeah. parts, you know, and even the communication aspect, which for some people is a huge uh, learning component. Like, it's not just enough to be, I guess, technically, you know, there and technically gifted. You also want to be able to communicate properly, uh, share your ideas with your team. You know, uh, be transparent, all those sort of things. And I guess you learn that through the uh, internships and co-ops. So both, so both fields, I will say, prepared me the same in terms of like getting the concepts down and getting the base fundamentals. The only the difference is actually when I was in computer science, I had actually left the co-op program. So I had just been doing internships on my scheduled breaks because I said to myself, hey, um, I'm on a break, like I want to work. So it ended up being roughly the same experience in terms of like some time off school, some internships, some time off school. And I think that internship part is the real like it has value in industry is into where waterloo really like stands out amongst like other universities like u of t or something else and all great schools in terms of how they teach you but i think the fact that the dna of uw has that co-op internship experience really really drives things forward because um, a lot of fields and engineering in particular is a field around like i guess apprenticeship and really passing down like knowledge to you know the next generation and so forth and i think the fact that the university has it as like a mandate for a lot of for all engineering programs it's a mandate that's a really good thing yeah um, one of the quotes that really resonates with me is actually found in google scholar mm -hmm. and it says we all stand on the shoulders of giants right right and so it's part of that passing of your knowledge and building up the next generation that kind of thing exactly and so when you have this just vast infrastructure in place in this school with connections and in industry and just sort of this coaching mentoring mindset right. and you continue to develop like solid talent right and I, and like you're doing some really cool things that i don't even know where i would start because <laughs> one time we're, we're eating and and i was saying like so you know how my phone works yeah i know that when when you click that button and you're trying to search for wi-fi right i'm telling you the layers of things like i can't even make that stuff up <laughs> no i remember that but, conversation right there's some stuff about like what your phone's actually doing in terms of the electrical signals but then mm -hmm. obviously you know the side of like the, the ux and ui of what i'm even touching mm -hmm. to get that signal to fire Right. right. So, so I, I don't know how you would start to do that. So that's just and like you're you're just in your early 20s, mid 20s and you know how to operate a phone like that. I was like, that's just to me, just really impressive stuff that I think is a testament to you, of, of course, as a really smart person, but also the, the program that's trained you really well. So back to the two um, degrees. So if you're looking at it from the school lens, then fundamentally software engineering and computer science had to teach you potentially some different things. There's some overlap, but there's some things that, that were unique to those programs. Right. Um, I guess, well, it's, it's, I think it's, it was kind of like a joke back when we were in first year and stuff like, oh, what is the difference between like computer engineering, software engineering, electrical engineering, and computer science? You know, a lot of overlap. Uh, but as you, I guess, go over the years, you start seeing and noticing some of the differences. And sometimes it's always hard to speak on the, so the differences in terms of what people end up usually doing after graduating with a computer science versus software engineering degree is very negligible. It's like a lot of them end up doing like very similar like roles. Like all of them work as software engineers in the US. The software engineering in Canada 
tech in the terms of like the label is a bit iffy because you have to be a professional engineer to be called an engineer so there's some like little like protocol and like bureaucratics around that but i guess in terms of the school experience there's actually quite a bit of difference um oh and after i switched into computer science i realized i was a bit more of like a lone wolf which which i didn't mind um being a lone wolf kind of meant like i was not like married to a particular group. I made friends in all different like areas, different programs. That was really nice. Um, sometimes it was bad and hard being, not being able to bounce ideas off of people. That was, that's a really good thing. In software engineering, you're like part of that wolf pack, you know? It's like a cohort, you know? And you have the same cohort from the beginning till the very end. And I think that is a huge distinguishing factor between the experience of the software engineering degree at Waterloo versus the experience of the computer science degree. Is that because there's just fewer people in computer science? No, there are more people in computer science. Okay. Uh, software engineering has less people, okay. so they're a small group. And it's structured in such a way that everybody takes the same course. All the core courses are all the same at the same scheduled time. The only difference is like electives. So software engineers can choose to have different electives as long as it meets the criteria, the legible criteria. However, with computer science, you're, it's, it's the Wild West. You can choose to take one course this term and then take it uh, two years later. You know, like I took my stats course, shout out to everyone in computer science right now. I took like my stats 231 course, the very last term <laughs> I had to, it was like winter 2016. I was like, this is my last term for my math courses. I'm going to like finish it right now. But ideally you should take that course. I should have taken that course like in 2013 or 2000 and like, yeah. So <laughs> that's the difference between the two. And so for some people who want structure, then maybe computer science is a little bit difficult because you have so much sort of choice over when and what you do? Well, there is like a guideline and a recommended course schedule that they do have up there. And if you talk to your advisor, it's there. But no one, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you can do it, but you don't have to do it. So, <laughs> so I think a lot of people choose what best fits their schedule and personality type. So it's kind of for the person that kind of says, I like to figure this shit out myself, you know. Thanks, which is, thanks which is you. <laughs> I guess, like, no I guess so. You thrived. <laughs> Maybe I thrived. Maybe that's why I thrived. Like, I just said, you know what, this is, this is for me, you know. I like the flexibility I have. I had more time initially before I ended up doing the other major. But the first year when I was in computer science, I had significantly more time as compared to software engineering. And then, like, the year after that, I got myself busy again by taking on another major out of uh, interest, so... And I guess my point of asking you that question is um, I'm experiencing that a lot uh, with my own program. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing a PhD in IO psychology, industrial organizational psychology. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> and um, uh, we often, when we apply for jobs in industry, would uh, compete with MBAs. Right. So a lot of the times we're trying to figure out, okay, like what kind of jobs are open to us for having an IO degree? And are those jobs similar or different from MBAs? And of course, we're trying to find a way to sell ourselves because in Canada, IO psychology is not as popular mm -hmm. as it is in the States. And it's definitely not as popular as MBAs in general. Right. But uh, uh, what I'm hearing from you as well with the software engineering and computer science thing is multiple means to the same end. Right. Uh, and I think oftentimes, especially when you're in school, there seems to be an implicit pressure to have things figured out mm -hmm. and that you can't change along the way. Right. So, you know, you're, you're 17, you're applying to schools and you're like, I have to decide. Okay, well, I don't know, software engineering. Then you get in, you're like, okay, I got in. That's great. It's, it's good validation. And then you're like, well, I don't want to quit. 
and, mm -hmm. and, and I just got to stick this out. But, right. you know, even if you shifted, which for you, I think it was for the better right. and you enjoyed yourself, you still are doing things that you could have done had you stuck with software engineering, but sort of the process is much more pleasing and you mm -hmm. ended up probably enjoying yourself more. You don't really have truly a comparison point because you would never know what that life was like, right. but it's good enough for what you went through. So it's like, it's okay to shift and it's okay to kind of figure out along the way because it will probably get you to where you want to go anyways. Right. I think, I think the lesson I learned was, and if I were to ever tell somebody younger, like my younger self, like dear younger Jay, um, it'll be, sometimes it's worthwhile just sitting down, even if it's for like an hour or so and just thinking and really reflecting what you want. I know that sounds cliche and people are like, oh, I've heard all this meditation stuff. But not really meditate, but just sit down and think. Like, what is it I truly want to achieve out of this, you know? Because sometimes, sometimes it ends up being like, oh, Jay, st stop, being, stop feeling sorry for yourself, you know? Just stick it out and do the work, you know? Sometimes it is like that, but sometimes I could actually be hurting myself, you know? And like, oh, this program is hard, but not only hard because of the content and the hours, but hard because... It just doesn't vibe with me and what I want to do. So sometimes that is the case. And I think that is where having that little exercise of thinking about what you want comes worthwhile because you realize there's so many paths to doing it. I had, for some example, I had friends that they were in school, whether software engineering or computer science, and they just decided, hey, school is not for me. Like, I'm going to drop out. I mean, it's easy things like people are like, oh, they quit school, they dropped out, all that. But they're doing really well for themselves now. I'm not telling people, hey, go drop out now, but they had realized that based on their like spirit and entrepreneurial like you know mindset, they were like, this is not for me. And it really wasn't for them. And I think they're doing so much better for themselves than if they would have stuck in school. I mean, it's hard to always say those what ifs, but the current timeline that they're in seems to be working very well in their favor. And they're very happy and they have zero regrets. So, Right. And it's just hard when you're in this environment where it's so academically focused that it's hard to make that decision uh, that maybe for what you want, school isn't the thing that, right. needs, that you need to get there, right? And mm -hmm. recognizing that and being comfortable with that decision. Basically. Right? So what do you do now for work? Uh, right now I work as a software developer at Shopify. Yeah, the Shopify uh, position ended up just coming nicely because I was at a time when I was graduating and I had realized that I did not want to go I did not want to work outside of Canada uh, because I kind of wanted to see if I can settle down in Canada. Uh, Canada ended up growing on me. I ended up like really loving the country, loving the people. So I said to myself, moving this early on without, because I didn't have plans to go back to Saudi, right? So moving away this early would be a bit premature of me and it'd be kind of jumping on the bandwagon. I mean, a common thing, like a lot of my friends from my graduating class and my graduating friends in cohort uh, went to like, some places in the States, uh, like either San Francisco or Seattle, New York, uh, some went to Europe, like Germany, UK. I said all those sound like fascinating. I really was interested in going to like Asia or Europe, for example. Uh, but I said to myself, look, um, I have to think about my future a bit more and what would be the best thing for me when I'm, say, like in my 30s or something, if I want to settle down somewhere. So then staying in Canada became like pretty much my number one priority. So Canada was number one priority above all else. And then once I had kind of figured that out, I had focused all my interviewing like energy towards staying within Canada. I looked at a bunch of companies, places I'd worked at before, some other companies, and then Shopify kind of came out rising. Like I had a, a really close friend of mine who, who also works there. 
was like, Jay, you'd love this place, you know. And he was actually on the verge of moving to San Francisco to work at like um, Google, it was, I believe. And then he said he really loved Toronto and Canada because he's from the GTA. And then he just said he felt like all his friends were still there. Um, he's a designer. And Toronto's pretty big. They have a pretty big design community, apparently. So he said he thinks he'll grow a lot more as a designer if he stayed in Toronto and with a lot of his friends. I mean, San Francisco has a lot of designers too, but I think the lifestyle aspect of Toronto too was also appealing. And then that appealed to me as well. So at the time, I was like, you know what? Yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And then he had referred me to both, I guess, Toronto and Waterloo. And even though I had interviewed at both places, Waterloo, surprisingly, <laughs> got the best of me and said, you know what? I was like, yeah, Waterloo's not bad. I think it was because it's quiet as like a full-time in Waterloo. It's like you're kind of away from the students and you're also not spending as much money as you would if you were living in downtown Toronto. So I felt like it was a perfect mix. So I don't know what a software developer does. Right. Um, you can either talk about your work specifically at Shopify or you can maybe contextualize it with like a different app and right. just kind of, oh, I'm, I don't even know if app is the right word. Oh, no, no, app, app is do, a good but, word. You know, yeah, but like, so word. what does a software developer do and, and how does that impact what I see or experience on the user side when I right. open up an app? Well, um, so contextualizing for you particularly might be a bit different because Shopify primarily focuses on software for like merchants and people that sell things like online. I believe you have a friend that sells to Shopify, Silver Diablo. Yeah, that's right. So imagine if I'm Sadia. Right. And uh, by the way, if those of you listening, there's a really good friend of mine. Her name is Sadia. She owns a, a clothing and apparel company uh, for people who are into fitness, but ultimately just facing their fear. I think that's why she called a silver Diablo is it's silver being the weightlifting bar and Diablo being the, the double. Mm-hmm. And it's just constantly uh, attacking the thing that scares you the most, but it ultimately gives you a lot of joy. Right. So she uses Shopify. So imagine if I'm Sadia and I've got these amazing shirts or weightlifting straps that I mm-hmm. make at home locally in Vancouver, Canada. Yay. And, uh, <laughs> and I want to have that reach uh, people who can then purchase it. Right. What do you do to make that happen for me? Well, I'll talk more about the, what the software developer does in general versus what I do. But the software developer usually then, in this case, so they build merchant software in this case. So Sadia, yourself in this case, is a, is a merchant. And there's usually like a product team that reaches out to merchants and figures out like what the requirements are. There's some investigation that goes into place. So right now you might be having a problem with, I don't know, like counting inventory. You're like, you know what, I don't like how I'm counting inventory currently. So once this becomes like a product problem and a problem that needs to be solved, there's like a team that forms around that problem sometimes if it's like a big enough problem. And then there are specific individuals within the team usually. They'll have a designer that kind of focuses on that human-computer interaction. So what you visually see, there's a designer that does all of that. And then there are the developers like myself who try and then now implement the solutions to those problems. It's kind of like building out the blueprint essentially it's like we have a blueprint that's you know the product what we want to build right we want to build some admin that Sadia can go into add products remove products do stuff like that so the software developer then through code mostly usually would write code okay that has the logic and also some of the visual components to tie in that experience together and I don't know if we're defining the problem the same way, so let me let me rehash what I yeah, think sure, you said sure. the problem would have been. And then, yeah. so let's say I've got five smalls shirts, 
five medium shirts, five large shirts. Right. And I put that into my website. Mm -hmm. But I don't like the way I'm doing that or I don't like the way that it's like, it's not effectively counting away my sales. Mm -hmm. Is that the problem? And then you go, well, let's fix that. Oh, it's all okay. I, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to figure out what the problem is and, right. then, and then what you do. And then I was on yeah. the assumption that like Saudi was not on like uh, e-commerce like solution. Yeah. And just, yeah. I actually don't know what she does, um, oh. but we could make up a, a, a fake problem of okay. someone who's trying to sell stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What you, what you commonly might see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like even, okay. Let's say she was already selling through like an e-commerce platform or something. And then you realize like, oh, I don't like the way I'm doing this. There could be, um, eventually the complaint or frustration will come around a product team. Once a product team gets like a whiff of that and it's a big enough problem that say a statistically large enough group of people are complaining about this, there's clearly a problem with how we do this. That you see this in apps sometimes too. It's like some people are like, oh, I don't like that I can't share this picture with someone easily. So then there's a product decision made to try and improve that experience. And then usually the logistics of how that actually gets implemented and done is done through the developers. Okay, so imagine if Instagram Right. used to not allow you to post multiple pictures. Right. And then enough people in the user population goes, hey, come on, Instagram, like, yeah. why can't we post multiple pictures? That seems easy. So then they'll go, okay, it seems like a big enough problem that it's worthwhile to fix because a lot of people will then enjoy the product more. That will then, that message goes towards a team and you being on the software development side is going to say, okay, what would that look like? in terms of the blueprint and the code so that we could write this code and now people can post multiple pictures. Basically, yeah. Okay. And that's not, I mean, there are multiple ways of finding a problem. Sometimes it could be like intrinsic to the company. They're like, oh, this is a new feature we should have, you know, we think it'll be really good. So they'll put it out as beta. Some, that's why sometimes you see sometimes some of your friends have certain features and you don't. That's usually called like A-B testing where they'll test with some part of the population and another part of the population doesn't have it. They'll see which one performs better, and then they will go about choosing that one. Huh. So it's like an experiment, right? More or less. Treatment group, control group, and then yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Basically, yeah, and it's kind huh. of like a feedback loop. It's like sure. a process, and they see. So there are multiple ways of getting that feedback into your system, right? Either it could be through like users, or it could be through self-conducted study. Yeah. So it's like Instagram could have been like, you know what? Let's try and see how well posting multiple pictures would be. And sometimes it's just like a gut check, you know, like, you know, clearly something will make life easier for people, you know, it could even be just internally. They don't have to do the A-B testing with like half the population, half the population. It could be like, you know what, this is a good feature to have. Right. Uh, so sometimes it's obvious and it's like, we don't need to waste that extra two month process. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes mm -hmm. not I, like, because like, it's usually, um, it's more common practice now to be like data driven. So you want there to be data that backing up your decisions. Mm -hmm. But I guess there's still a few exceptions where, you know, hey, gut check, this is a good feature to have. Hmm. So then in that toy example you have, they would go back to the product teams and whatnot. They would come about with like a solution to the problem being like, the frustration is like as a user, I would like to be able to share multiple things at the same time. Huh. And then designers will come around seeing what the best user experience for that would look like. And then once that's all set in place, the developers will then start implementing the logistics and logic behind figuring out how that will piece together yeah. with like the user uh, interface and whatnot. So what would be some of the uh, most uh, challenging parts of your job? 
um, I obviously you, you very much enjoy it and you like everything about the company. I hear amazing things as a person from the outside of Shopify, mm-hmm. but in terms of your experiences as a software developer and maybe you can speak outside of, of Shopify experiences, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the challenging parts of this type of job? Because there's so many people that do it uh, now, especially in this uh, community. Right. Um, this may be me, but meetings. <laughs> Having meetings. I guess meetings are always uh, an interesting thing. Um, when I say meetings, I think overall meetings is just like a placeholder name for context switching. In school, you know, all you're doing were, you know, your engineering or math assignments. And that was that kind of thing. I mean, it's so challenging, but it was, there was like a guideline, you know, I had to do this assignment, this deadline, I, I, I do it, that's it. I guess in the real workforce, there are a lot of variabilities and a lot of, you know, external factors that are kind of out of your control. You know, you have to context switch, you know, say maybe four times a day and you don't really have enough time to get in the work you're doing in. Did you say content switching? Context switching. Okay. Sorry. What does that mean? So, context what do you switch- mean by that? so when I say context switching, I mean you're working in a particular frame of mind with a particular task in mind. And then suddenly you have to discard all of that and then do a completely different task mm. with the expectation of eventually going back to the same original task at some point. Okay. And the reason why I find it challenging and sometimes other people find it challenging is the fact that you can't just, I said discard when I first described it, but you can't just discard that uh, context or, okay, or that like frame of mind. You have to hold it while doing this other task so that when you get back into your original task, you know where you left off in that particular task you were in and what context you're working with. So, I were the, uh, And are the two tasks like, there's different goals to them or is it still part of a bigger picture project? Usually they're part of a bigger picture project, but you could be wearing a different hat, you know, it's like you could be doing more, I guess, decision making, you know, or like reaching your users or something of that sort. Uh, sometimes it could be completely different tasks if, you, if you're spread a bit like too thin between like multiple projects and stuff like that. So that could be something that takes up a lot of your time and a lot of your resources because you have to really focus on what it is you're leaving off at each task before you get back into it. So it could be like replying an email, for example, and be like, let me get back to you. You go and do some of like the coding to get like, because you have a deadline for your, uh, for your coding task as well. So you have to meet, meet that deadline before the end of the week and you have to go back to that email about something and then respond to that, so. Yeah, I think with, this came up with um, Siobhan. Mm-hmm. With school, you're only really accountable to yourself. Right. And so then you have a lot of control over what you want to get done. Because um, you can say, the lab's due today at 12. Yeah. I'm just going to put off the next 12 hours and do this thing. Basically. But at work, you can't do that because you're working on different teams. And then there might be certain client needs. And so next thing you know, you're like, I'm going to spend the next two hours on this thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. You just you had half an hour. Because that other time, you got to do this other thing that just came up and you had no control over. Basically, it even happened to me as recently as uh, Friday, last Friday. I had set out big goals for like, getting a lot of like uh, engineering tasks done that day. I was like, oh yeah, I'll finish this like uh, refactoring here. I'll finish implementing this feature here. Next thing you know is like uh, team lead on another project I'm on. It's like, hey, we have a meeting. Uh, it's going to be about two hours and we need you in there. And I'm like, oh, Okay. <laughs> And then that went that then there went my Friday, yeah. so I'll have to go back and say Monday now, and then regain all that context from what I wanted to initially do, and then now do it. Yeah, and I think this is a good segue into really big question I've always wanted to ask you. Oh boy, which is if you ask your friends to describe you, they would say that you're a robot. 
<laughs> and, and you have this uh, calm temperament that I've never seen before. Where did you get that? You know, was it developed? Was there something innate as you could you could perceive that maybe you were always calm? Because it seems like a very good skill to have in the job that you do in like any job is you got to learn to be flexible. Mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't seem like you are ever bothered by anything. And I like to get a sense of why that is. That. Oh, did you not know? Um, we're, we're, all, we're all robots. We're all yeah. AI. <laughs> well, there's that theory, right? Yeah, we're that, all... <laughs> uh, we're, we're, that, that VR theory. The, that uh, simulation theory. Yeah, that this is just the realest simulation that yeah, we're in. Right? This is a simulation, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, nothing's real. Nothing's real. So <laughs> my settings were just set on like max uh, patience, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. No, but jokes aside... I don't know. This this the robot keyword actually has actually been stemmed way back since like middle school. Actually, the first time I was called a robot was for a different reason. It's because of my voice. Uh, my voice had dropped, and then one of my uh, my classmates at the time was like, "Wow, Jay, you sound like a robot now." I was like, "Oh, do I?" He was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Okay, thanks for letting me know." Then like later on in the other years, is in high school and stuff. I guess because I was a bit busy between school and sports at the time. People had nicknamed me like, oh, he's like a machine kind of thing because he's doing this and doing that, you know, and I never complained at the time. So they're like, oh, he never complained. He's probably a robot. He doesn't have that setting on. And that kind of bled into university. And all of these are like, you know, coincidental, like nobody that had ever given the nickname knew about other people that gave him that nickname. So it's really funny that a lot of people say that at a time. I think when I, when I sit down and think about it, I think when they say robot, they probably mean mostly like my demeanor. And I think it's the fact that I don't complain. I mean, I do complain. I'm human. Uh, for, for listeners out there, I'm human, okay? <laughs> Don't be like, oh shit, they're here now. <laughs> what is that movie? Uh, Blade Runner or whatever? I don't know. Oh, I didn't like, watch it, but I was thinking like, iRobot. iRobot. iRobot, yeah. They're like, oh shit, yeah, the, the robots are here. Robot. Of course they started Waterloo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> of course Waterloo built like this uh, yeah. robot. This podcast is all like a, a, a means yeah. to like, get us accustomed to robots. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, I think they talk a lot about the human aspects of, you know, frustration or complaining about something when things don't go your way and whatnot. And I think a lot of that, I give credit to how my mother raised me. I was kind of raised in like a single, like in a single parent household. And my mom had really taken the burden of like father, mother, essentially doing all the things like in your stereotypical household, like what the father do, what the mother do. She was doing all that. Plus she had a full-time job. Plus she was sending my sister to school and me to school. But throughout that whole process, she would never complain. She would come back home from work really late, you know, sometimes just pass out on the couch and that's it. She would just pass on the couch from how exhausted she was. But no matter how exhausted she was, she would never be like, oh, I'm tired or oh, I can't do that for you. I had a question be like, hey, mom, can I get allowance to go do this? Or hey, mom, can you take us here for this? She'd always do that. So I think that in itself, both explicitly and kind of implicitly within me, made me have a realization as in to be like, wow. I should not have to ever feel sorry for myself. Here is this like amazing person doing all this work, carrying all this load, you know, and still going, you know, and not complaining. So I think I have to give a lot of credit to that in terms of like how it just shaped my personality around that. And then I think a lot of other life experiences I've had have made me always have a moment of each day. I, take, I carve out some time every morning or every evening to just look back and see how like grateful I should be for where I am, like, you know, the things I've accomplished, you know, the type of life I'm living. Even when I, because I, uh, side side note, I like traveling a lot. So when I travel, I get to see 
like really amazing places and amazing people and also get to see that there's some people that don't have it as fortunate as other people so i'm like wow i really shouldn't have to complain about a lot of what i have so i guess that has that had been instilled in me in a really early age i guess so and as i started growing up it became part of who i was became part of like i guess my makeup and then now i mean there are times where i'll feel frustrated or complain about certain things like oh man this didn't go my way oh that didn't go my way but I think I really try and keep it at a very bare minimum. And when I do have those frustrations, I kind of let them out in my own way. I don't really let them out in front of people. And it's not really to keep up a facade or anything. I, I was thinking, I was like, maybe it's like it can be seen as a facade. But no, it was just more of like, I deal with it in my own ways. Uh, one way is like, I, I do martial arts, for example. So when you're punching those bags, you know, it's like each punch is like, oh, I'm frustrated at this fact. Oh, I don't like this. So it's kind of like I have my own like outlets. And if I'm ever frustrated, say, with a person or a process, I actually like talking with that person or, you know, talking about the process with people, you know, involved with it. So I really try and resolve conflicts instead of letting them bury within me and have me, you know, always be frustrated. Because I think frustration sometimes is just the buildup of anger and misused energy. So if I can utilize them in a better way, it kind of helps me feel less frustrated and less, you know, fed up with things or angry about something. Yeah, it just sounds like a really adaptive and mature way of looking at things. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> you said, like, yeah, you do complain. And, like, I can't... The only time I remember you complaining is one time we went to Bomber. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got... And then you, like, laid on grass. I wasn't part of this. And you're like, oh, my God, Cheryl's waiting for me. So I'm running home and I'm scooping air. Because <laughs> they're talking about sprinters scooping air to run fast. Right, right, right. And then the next day we're at, and you're the next day we're at, we're at training. Um, he's like, man, I can't really lift because I think I caught a cold. Right. Like, that's the only time I can remember you saying, like, something not really going away. Uh. Like, like, I guess sometimes you go like, oh, I really, you know, like, oh, that went better than it. Uh, expected because I'm sick or like oh that didn't go as well because I'm tired and I trained then I don't really see that as complaining you're just making an observation right but that's like the only time I remember where you're like I got I got sick because I laid on grass for you know an hour or something yeah I was yeah for context for the listeners I was uh, I was dancing at I was dancing at bomber and and going hard I was going hard I was sweating I was like very, very yeah I was like drenched in my own sweat and it was it was like fall or something. It was pretty cold. It was chilly. Oh, yeah. It was my first time at Bomber. First and only time at Bomber? Yeah, it was your first and only time at Bomber. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was pretty cold. And then like we leave uh, the club and I was I left with my friend. And then I just decide the grass looked really good. And I lay on the, I lay on the ground. And then my friend Sachi was like, JJ, like we have to go home. Like it's late and stuff. I'm like, yeah, but I'm tired. I was dancing so much. And then I think me laying on the grass while wet kind of, made me catch something but then to make matters worse my girlfriend is waiting for me uh at like around like king and uni so for those of you in waterloo it's like the distance from like uh bomber to like uh king university so it was like quite a miles away and there were no buses at the time so i was like crap she's waiting for me so i decided to like sprint down the street you know i just sprint down king street or no i sprint down university rather sorry and then i was uh, scooping air i was scooping air because i had read uh that sprinters you know <laughs> would sometimes scoop air to like you know get that aerodynamic effect so i was like yeah that makes sense you know scoop air uh so i was running down and then next day i caught a, a pretty bad cold and then i met nav for training and then i told him yeah i don't think i can lift as well today because I'm, I'm feeling really sick. So I guess that was the one complaint you've heard from that's me. That's the only time. And, and I just go, that's, that's crazy. And I get, like, when we go out, 
I'm always the one who gets really frustrated at people. <laughs> <laughs> so you're always the one who's breaking up me and, and, and things that are about to happen uh-huh. if I'm not smart. And so, so I'm not someone that's as uh, level-headed, probably, uh, at least to the extent that you are. And so, so if you were to um, give me some advice mm-hmm. to, to be able to be more um, level-headed, what types of things would you suggest me be able to do or or think about or try? So I don't know if I can tell you anything that, you know, maybe a quick Google search or one of those things about how do I stay calm, how do I, you know, better manage like my frustrations and all that wouldn't provide you. So I'm going to go off of a tangent and give something that hopefully might be somewhat original. And for me, it might be just, I don't know, maybe I'm lazy. When I think about something, maybe I'm a minimalist by nature. So, I mean, you know that about me, but for the listeners out there, I'm like a minimalist. I like to try and keep things like a bare minimum, not only for like practical reasons, but also even aesthetics. I do like the aesthetics of things that look minimal because I feel it's like if something's well-designed, it shouldn't be like cluttered, if that makes sense. You know, like an in, a good interior design of like a, of a house or like a restaurant anywhere should have, you know, Things laid out symmetrically and properly and just, you know, minimalist. Not so many things to try and, like, mask, you know, the, the broken wall or mask something, you know, no. So I think some of the minimalism stems back to my laziness sometimes. Like, I like doing just the right amount of work at the right amount, at the right time. So I don't want to do a lot of work at the wrong time because I feel that's just, like, a waste of my energy. So and I think part of my laziness is what makes me feel, why should I bother with being frustrated at, say, a situation or a person like just let it go it won't affect me it's one thing to tell myself that and not feel that way but i think i genuinely do feel that way so it works in my favor if something is about to frustrate me i just look at it i'm like is it worth the effort being frustrated at it i'm like nah so i just <laughs> i just go back so maybe an advice to give someone is maybe try and sit back and prioritize what really matters to you as an individual and things that don't matter to like your goals or your person or your personality your development I say just hack away all of that. Just don't bother with like most of it because if you can get yourself to a state where that's what you truly feel, I think you'll realize a lot of the things that frustrate us is like we were conditioned to feel frustrated about that. You know, it's like all these things are based on the generation you live in and the time you live in. I mean, for example, like if your phone's not working, you get really frustrated about that. Our parents didn't have to worry about that when they were our age because they didn't have any phones in the first place. We were conditioned to feel frustrated if we don't have... A certain thing mm-hmm. or things go our way so i just feel sit back realize what my goals are what i want to do with life and anything else that doesn't directly like super impact it i can let it slide i yeah. mean or deal with it in a way that doesn't require me to exert so much energy so if a friend for example offended me in some fashion i would sit them down on the side and be like hey let's talk about what I did. that was not cool kind of thing as opposed to like just let it boil in me and then go to all my other friends and be like oh that john or oh nav i I can't stand nav nav just like pissed me off the other day and just let it frustrate me i'll just be like hey nav i don't like why don't just talk to yeah i'll just talk to you like hey i don't like what you did the other day and i'll just like end it there Mm -hmm. so it sounds like like be clear with what it is you want in life or what's important to you and then anything that's just even remotely peripheral to that you're like yeah like that's just i can shelve it you know i mean even if it will frustrate me i can come back to it later and or I'll deal with the person that's responsible for that frustration or the situation that is responsible for that frustration. Yeah, I worked with a really amazing woman at UBC. She was my uh, supervisor while I was doing my undergrad out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, I always have time to worry. 
<laughs> we can always worry you later. <laughs> like, like I'm busy and I got to focus on what I need to do. Right. Um, and uh, if I need to worry, I'll worry you later. Because exactly. I, can, I, can, I can always make time for that. And it's easy to do that, right? What's right. hard is to be able to, to, to push that off to the side if it's not important right now and to focus on the task in front of you, right? Basically. Yeah. Actually, a question just popped up in my head. Did you ever feel like there is a diversity issue with being a black male in tech? And is there like a numbers thing that, that would show that there's like just not that many people who are black in the tech community? And, and then what your experience was like in that way and whether or not you found out it might have inhibited your pursuit of this area? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh boy, here we go. The and this is a question I can ask yeah, you, I think, no, no, we're good friends. Oh yeah, I don't know sure. if anyone has asked you this question, but... Oh, no. oh I've gotten asked this question before. <laughs> oh no, the, it's, it, it, the reason I say, oh no, here we go with diversity is because it's a question that does come up. It's, I guess whenever there's like a visible, visible minority in some group, it's always one of those things that is, it's human nature. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking it. Uh, I think it's just an observation we make as human beings. We're observant creatures. So uh, there is, if I had to sit back and, so for, for me, it's hard, right? Because I don't know about anyone else, but for myself, it's, I don't really like, it's hard for me to know. I mean, I know I'm a black male, for example. I identify myself as a black male too. But when you're like out and about, like in a meeting room, for example, I wouldn't realize that I'm the only black person there because I can't see myself. <laughs> that makes sense. Only like if I see a recording of it, I'm like, oh shit, I was the only black person in that room. Uh, I would say, yeah, in tech there is, uh, I guess there is a significantly lower number of uh, black people in general, not just black males, but black people in general. Um, like uh, most places I've worked at, for example, I was usually like the only black person on the team or in the engineering org, for example, in that like office. So it is something that I would notice that someone would bring up and then I'll notice after they brought it up, I'm like, oh yeah, that is true. There's a, diverse, there's a lack of diversity. And it's also something similar to the lack of say women in certain tech fields too. There's, there's a clear diversity gap. Uh, and I think a lot of companies are really trying their hardest to you know, meet those you know, quotas to try and like, you know, increase the amount of people, the amount of minorities that they like uh, hire for certain roles whether or not that has impacted like my decisions or getting in i mean i can never tell right i don't know what happens after my interview happens there have been a lot of interviews i've had where i didn't get the job there are interviews i've had where i clearly got the job and i ended up working in those places whether or not for the ones where i didn't get the job is because like oh we don't want to hire him because he's he's black I, i really doubt that's the case i really doubt that it might be just i didn't meet the skill requirements for that uh, whether and the, the contrary, which sometimes I guess ties into the imposter syndrome thing that some people on your podcast maybe have talked about before. Uh, no, uh, that actually hasn't hasn't come up, but we've talked about it before. Uh, yeah, right? impo- yeah, yeah, imposter syndrome is something that like happens to people where they feel they're not good enough for a certain like role or task, and sometimes the imposter syndrome will kick in when you get a job, being like, "Oh my god, did I get hired because I'm black?" You know, mm-hmm. I've talked to some other minority groups where they felt like the reason they got hired is because of the fact that they were a minority sometimes, and that kind of makes you feel uncomfortable. So I guess a lot of companies are trying their best to figure out a way of properly hiring these people without making it look like, oh, we've lowered the bar just for you. Because you don't want, that's like a pretty bad, I wouldn't want the bar lowered on me. Mm -hmm. Like I'd want to be as capable as like any of like 
my other like coworkers and I mean in my case I don't think that that was my, that happened to me uh, but I can see where that could be like sometimes something people feel or think you know so it's a really like sensitive but it's also a very hard problem mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people can easily complain about it but it's if you want to if you get behind the scenes and try and actually solve it or like look for solutions you're like oh wow this is you have to be really careful with how you, you know you select your candidates because uh, because a lot of it stems a lot of the problems are not because of the companies it's because of our society right it's like you have to look at how many people so for example let's use like my demographic as an example um, like blackmail right like working in this tech company you have to sit back and be like okay where did this tech company hire from oh they hire from people in university or whatever people in tech okay they they're like people that are setting tech you have to go back and be like okay how many blackmails are setting tech you know, like, okay, for example, in my class, there was only like, what, one or two, if anything. So between in the span of six years in like the software and computer science programs, there were like less than 10 black males, for example. Um, so that's to give you some context, as opposed to the thousands of people that have graduated in those six years, right? So you then say to yourself, okay, so there's already like a lower number of them in that stage. But you have to ask yourself, who gets into these programs in the first place? Well, people in high school. You have to look at like the socioeconomical factors, like how many black males are in like high schools that prepare them for university, like, you know, U of T, University of Waterloo, etc. And you're like, oh, not that many. And then you have to even ask yourself how many of them are in school. And then you look at all the constructs of society and things that actually impact that. So it's like a long chain. It's like there's a lot that affects that. And I think the same applies to other minority groups like women, like a lot of. I mean, it's changing now, but there was a time where a lot of women were like, you know, oh, don't do not do that. Play with something else. The engineering is for boys, you know, and this like medicine or something else is more suited for like, you know, for women. And that then builds a chain of, okay, how many women are in like computer science or software engineering programs? Then how many of them were being prepared in school well enough for them to actually get into like, you know, those programs? So then now when the company comes and tries to hire like women or like black people, like crap, where do we find them? The reason is there are not enough of them in the pool in the first place sometimes. So that is slowly changing, but I think the ramifications of that generation are still impacting us in the field today. So it is a bit frustrating to see the state of it sometimes. You're like, wow, it's really non-diverse. But I think it's slowly improving. And hopefully within the next couple of decades, like, um, because these things take time. We have to be like honest ourselves. We can see like a significant change, like where it's like, an even spread of all, you know, like genders and race groups and, you know, like for other forms of identification. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point you make about it being a, a, like a broader systemic issue. Yeah. Because, and of course, what we're doing right now is what we can in this moment in time, which is try to uh, do certain hiring practices to attract uh, people to even apply unless we get a larger pool to begin with and then we can discern whether or not they have the skills available mm-hmm. when you look back yeah you're right you know how many people actually are even going into these fields at school and then like how many people are even of this demographic going to school versus other types of schools which you know then preclude them from being able to to, to get this type of training to be a good applicant basically um, yeah. and then also like what promoted their interest or not to join these fields um there's a group of researchers at the University of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in a social psychology lab, uh, and they found that um, daughters who had dads that took counter stereotypical roles in the household had these daughters more likely to choose STEM related 
topics mm, of interest, interest right that is very so if you have a man who cooks and cleans mm -hmm. then that showed their daughters that they could also be not female like stereotypical right? exactly yeah, yeah, so yeah. then they can now oh if dad can be like a girl quote unquote then me as a daughter can be like a boy I right see, I see. and so that was a cool finding so it's like they found some evidence to suggest that it's systemic even in just sort of within the family's roles right and that that might promote the extent to which they're interested in in that type of job or you know field and and i remember when i was growing up uh, i learned about playing house in kindergarten and right. then when i went home and i pretended to cut up things to feed my dad my dad would say boys don't do that girls do that right, right. uh clearly it didn't really affect me that much like through many factors that i can't necessarily point to directly mm -hmm. that i still got into a field that was you know more into the idea of forming relationships with people being in psychology right. so it didn't affect me that much and obviously being a liberal environment that that helps with shaping that right. but you can imagine if like um uh that interaction perpetually happens at home yeah and i go okay well that just secludes me from it or precludes me from ever being able to take on these female roles and then therefore um, I'm gonna or perceived female roles, perceived female roles, and yeah, perceived totally, yeah, male all roles. It's all, yeah. it's all. It literally yeah. is all perception, and that is really, uh, I guess, the problem is there's this huge, you know, misperception by society about like a lot of like roles and factors. Yeah. And again, things are changing now, but I think people need to like take a step back sometimes and look at the bigger problem at hand because it's very easy to look at like the tech company alone or like a particular industry and be like, oh, this is bad. Like, you know, why are they not hiring this? But there's like a larger systemic problem in place. And I think that's where it kind of all ties in. But as things are slowly like, as the gears are, sh are like, you know, ticking in different components, eventually the gear in the far like right corner of like this giant machine will eventually tick. And then that tick could be the eventual like balance between all different types of, you know, like, demographics right and i think um like uh i have a friend who does outreach mm -hmm. at waterloo at schools so i mean that's one way that i think university of waterloo is trying to change that is to start to promote these stem related fields to just kids in general mm -hmm. right and and hopefully at least that exposes them to to an area that they didn't consider at all right. so it might of course just promote an interest they've never had it but maybe for these girls who are going to school and go yeah like i could do that type of job like there's nothing about that that says a girl can't do it right, right. and so you got to attack at that problem both in terms of right now what we're hiring in terms of the the population we do have and then you try to obviously go at it from an earlier age to sort of just prevent some of those stereotypes from from being crystallized right basically so that they, they don't even think that that's a thing mm -hmm. right in terms if you of can stop a lot of these things before they get crystallized that's like a huge win because right. that's when it's still possible to change a perception about something. And I mean, life at the end of the day is perception. I mean, even to go back to the question you asked me about like, you know, oh, why are you calm or like robot-like? I guess it really boils down to my perception of things. And I just perceive certain things as, you know, important, certain things as not important. Uh, so even, th there have been times in my life where I've kind of been told like, oh, you can't do this role. It's not for you because of your race, you know, or something of that sort. I didn't care about it because I've had role models that were also, you know, like black or similar to me that did achieve many great things like my sister, my mother, so many different uh, people. And they had been told, they'd actually been told twice than me. They'd been told they can't do it because they're a woman and they also can't do it because they're black. So, and they still did whatever they set out to achieve. So I already had that, you know, as like my motivation, my fire burning inside that, oh yeah, 
they can do it. And I mean, I, like, I, I just need to like, you know, go for it, go at it. I have, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I've definitely had comments like that before, but it's not like brought me. It's not like, it's, I mean, it's like a hit, it's like a jab. You know, you just brush the jab off, you keep running. You know? Yeah, you got to slip and do a counter. S- s- a slip and a counter, you know, <laughs> slip and you, you a hook from nowhere, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's, <laughs> uh, I know this is kind of like on a tangent, but sometimes it is funny, the comments like I did receive, you know, being in tech, you know. Uh, people are like, oh, wow, you know, it's like, like you're in the field. We didn't expect that because I think the perception is that you, you have a stereotypical view of what like an engineer or something looks like. And I mean, the same goes even for women too, like. Sometimes at work, people like say, oh, I mean, not where I work now, but just in general, um, they're like, oh, you're a designer? They will assume like a, a woman is a designer sometimes or something like that just because they're in the minority. So whenever you say minority of any type, you assume they're in a role not of that majority group. And then you're like, oh, no, I'm an engineer. Oh, no, I'm just like, oh, oh okay. I mean, no, it's like I don't, I don't consider those as offenses. I consider that as a bit of ignorance, you know, and the ignorance is just, I guess, a consequence of the uh, misperception. You know, it's like when you already when you have a perception about something, you become ignorant to every other possibility about that thing. You know, you're it's like tunnel vision. You can't nothing else can look like like that. You know, so so I've had those moments a bit throughout university in my career, but I've never taken like offense to them. I've just been like, oh wow, I I wish we get to a point where people are not as ignorant and there's enough because eventually when there's enough people of minority group within a field, it doesn't become a surprising factor anymore. So. I guess it's just a waiting game, you know, at this point, you know, it's just like, oh, hopefully. I mean, you can do little things, you know, educate people along the way. Like, hey, hey, don't say it that way or hey, that's not nice. But eventually, I think it will all play itself out, hopefully. Just slip the jab. Slip the jab for now, you know. And then you counter. Counter with the hook. Yeah. You, you'll get hit a few times, but life is about how hard yeah. you can get hit and keep moving. Yeah. You got to just break that stereotype. Who gives a shit about yeah. that noise, who gives, right? Who gives just, a shit? If you yeah. want it, then just go and do it and screw yeah. it if it's... Yeah, in life, people, there's always going to be somebody that's unhappy with something you do, you know. Uh, I mean, to, to, to quote rappers, you know, you're always going to have haters, you know. Yeah. Like, they hate me, you know. They don't want you to win, you know. They, someone always has a they. There's always going to be a they to somebody. So I think developing a bit of that, like, thickness and skin, you know, the durability and endurance, ability to take some hits, you know, and keep going, okay, will help you a lot more along the journey that is life than just being able to, like, hit really well, you know, get all your tasks done. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to take take those L's, you know, yeah. like, like lose a bit. Guess, yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard for me to say because I've never really experienced a lot of, um, uh, hardship or adversity that way. And when it comes to these sort of like stereotype types of judgments, mm-hmm. but, um, um, like I know you and I are really into like Navy SEAL sort of mindset, right? <laughs> and there was that speech, there was a, uh, a former commander of the Navy SEALs and he was giving a commencement speech to these undergrads as they graduated. And he was telling a bunch of stories and one of them sounded something like, you know, we do training out on the beaches of San Diego and they know that they're um, swimming in oceans and in oceans there are sharks. And we let them know that when they're out there, they got to be careful, uh, but they still have to swim. And if you don't like that there are sharks and you're scared, then you can just ring the bell and quit. And he said, sometimes in life though, there are going to be sharks and there are going to be bullies. And if you really want it, you're going to go and attack and you're going to face those sharks head on, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're going to face a little bit of adversity and hardship. Sometimes, yeah. and, and it's just going to be part of, of life and then just being okay with with not feeling sorry for yourself and, mm-hmm. and learning from it and then just going attack on yeah. the attack and, and go head on, right? Yeah, I know. That's why sometimes I'll try and tell my friends that are maybe having a bit of like a struggle with whatever endeavor it is in their life that... I mean, I, I try not to tell them, oh, just brush it off and go for it. I'm like, despite the fact of how hard 
you're feeling and how hard this is on you, try your best you know, to still persevere through it. You know, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it would be like a camel going through the eye of a needle. You know, this, there are those moments in life, you know, and I think maybe haven't been through some of those moments myself. I try my best. I, I try my best to be a bit empathetic when that comes in. It's very easy to always tell someone, oh, brush it off. Yeah, just do you it. Know, just yeah, do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, don't be a baby. Just do it. Yeah. No, but I mean, sometimes it is going to be hard for one reason or the other, you know, and I think seeing someone through the process and make sure they can successfully go through that eye of the needle, you know, is a really, really monumental moment in somebody's life. And I think it's something that, you know, will stay with them throughout their life. And it happens to different people at different stages in life. For some people, it happened when they were younger. Some people, it still hasn't happened yet. Some people, it happens. But most of the time, it's kind of bound to happen, you know? And then being prepared and willing to, like, you know, you know, persevere and, like, overcome the failure. That's where I think true transcendence happens in an individual. Right. And I think we always want to, like, transcend. We always want to, like, you know, improve and, you know, say, like, oh, this is what I accomplished yesterday. But it's not about what I did yesterday. It's about what I'm going to do tomorrow. Mm. Um, so I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, yes. We're just a little bit over an hour. Oh, my um, bad. I talk, I talk too much. <laughs> oh, good. I'm taking up your time. Um, so I always leave off um, the final uh, points of the podcast for my guests to speak to, to uh, people and just sort of have these final parting words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question for you is less about the calm piece because we kind of talked about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sort of looking back, at to, uh, looking back to your academic um, career in the undergrad, versus switching over into the workforce and being in industry. Uh, I know you've mentioned a couple things already that like are different and what these students need to pick up quickly in order to be successful in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you could just summarize for us a couple points of you know what skills or challenges you think that students switching over from school to work um, uh, are, are going to experience and then what uh, sort of strategy or strategies that you might have for them to get better or be prepared for those challenges. Mm-hmm. So I'll give a quick TLDR about that. I'll try and aim this towards like just, I guess, workforce in general, not just tailored towards like the software developers uh, path is uh, some things to like focus on obviously is communication. You know, uh, the quote unquote soft skills that people always talk about are actually the most important skills. Communicate with your coworkers, communicate with people, uh, very important. Uh, always be willing to learn. Uh, Sometimes coming out of university, you might think you know everything, but that's not always the case. Always be willing to learn. Be patient with certain things. Sometimes the process needs to play itself out, and you need to give it enough time. Massage it a little bit before you, you know, complain or have an opinion about it, because sometimes you eventually see why a process is the way it is. Uh, what was the other question you had? And then some strategies to go about, uh, um, you know, developing these communication skills, because mm-hmm. that's interesting. You bring that up, like stereotypically mm-hmm. um, as we're talking about stereotypes uh, you would imagine uh, people being in tech not good communicators mm-hmm. but I've never experienced that with you right um, so how did you develop those skills and you know how would you promote uh, those strategies well the strategy is like at the end of the day remember the person that you're probably complaining about at the other workplace is a human as well you know it's or a process that involves humans as well so there's always going to be that like you know, communication aspect to it because that's how we proceed and that's how we share ideas amongst ourselves. So when you realize that, you realize that it's an important component, not just of your work life, but of your life as a human in general. Being able to communicate with like, you know, your parents or your like significant other uh, siblings, coworkers, same thing. So you, I think 
taking a step back to see maybe some deficiencies in your communication could be like a first step and then seeing how you can improve on it. Being like, oh, I should share my ideas uh, more thoughtfully. I should be more considerate of how I say things because sometimes you don't mean bad, but you say it the wrong way. And I think those skills are very important in the workplace. And also, I think lastly, I would say just trying to uh, find joy in what you do. Uh, finding joy and reason to doing what you do. If you care about like your work, your field of work, I think that goes a long way, whether you're in like, you know, art or music, engineering, law, physics, research, you know, I'm probably like missing a few, but whatever it is you do, uh, just try and find some joy in what you do. I think that goes a long way. It really helps with those like tough times. Uh, being passionate about what you're doing at the point, uh, may, that may not always be the case. You may sometimes work might just be a means to an end, but even if it's a means to an end for something you eventually want to do, just having that in mind, being like, there's a reason why I'm doing this is a really good thing. And it does help with those tough days. There are going to be those good days, but there's also inevitably going to be those tough days. So having like that sense of purpose while you're doing something is a really important like skill to develop, even for studies too. Like, why am I studying? Like finding reason behind what you do, regardless of what it is you do, is an important thing. And I think that those are some of those are some of the TLDRs I'll give for like students or like workers or anyone. Yeah, sure. So work on those communication skills. Uh, always have that learning mindset. Be patient yeah. and find some purpose of what you're doing, so that when it comes the tough times, you still remember what it is um, that you want to achieve, and that you know this is just gonna be part of the process. Basically, but at least that purpose needs to be there. The purpose needs to be there. Yeah. Fuck the stereotypes. Fuck the stereotypes. Slip it. Slip those jab. jabs. Hooks out of nowhere. Yeah. I didn't get to talk about Muay Thai or anything in this podcast. Yeah, this is that list. You got to do a push kick. Push kick, you know. Uh, yeah, here's my Muay Thai yeah. plug, you know. Yeah. Push kick, you know, uppercut, you know. And yeah. Keep that distance and go on the attack. Yeah, and actually to like come back to people. Also find some hobbies outside of like what you do. You know, that's, that's I, I can't believe I completely missed that. But that was a huge factor to me, I guess, enjoying university is I had hobbies and things I did, extracurriculars I did outside of school. And even today at work, there are things I do outside of work. And I feel those things are really good times for you to have those necessary mental pauses with your work, do something else and come back. I know people are like, oh, but I don't have the time to do so and, and I won't be able to focus on my studies. I found it helped me focus a lot more because sometimes I'll say be training for two hours at the gym and then I'll be like, oh crap, I can't wait to go back and solve this like assignment. And if I had not gone, I'd just been really frustrated and been like, oh, man, I don't want to do this anymore. So find something that keeps you occupied and something you look forward to as a hobby outside of that. Um, what those hobbies is, that's up to the individual. I mean, I was talking about like fighting right now because I enjoyed Muay Thai. That was a really good like outlet and the break. And so did you and I did weightlifting together. Mm -hmm. That's how you and I actually met. So. Yeah, I think it's um, not putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, it's very not important. put all your eggs right? in one basket. If you have one thing that defines you, that's very dangerous because there will come a time where you're not going to enjoy that one thing or you can't do that one thing anymore. Yeah, and, it's a possibility. And if all your well-being is predicated on that um, single thing, then if it goes south, then you know, you're not going to have a means to sort of deal with that stress. Yeah. So have hobbies and diversify. Yeah, diversify. Yeah, I'm sorry to extend this podcast yeah, a bit that's more. that's all good. Uh, but uh, yeah, like that's a really important point too. Like keeping your eggs in one basket is pretty dangerous because, I mean, I don't wish this upon anyone, but there's a very high possibility that that one thing you do, as you said, you're not, you may not be able to do it anymore. So 
being multifaceted, having multiple interests is like if something else fails, there's not like a single point of failure. You have some other things and aspects in your life and aspirations you can look forward to. So I think that's definitely another plus. Mm-hmm. So communicate, learn, be patient, have purpose, and diversify. Have diversify. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Thank you, Nev. And that's it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the podcast, Ignite Our Catalyst. Of course, episodes at the moment are released once a month, so stay tuned as we have more content for you in the near future. We really thank everyone's support so far, uh, and we really appreciate all the feedback we've received so far. But if there's anything we can do to change the formatting or the style of the podcast, or even types of content that you want to listen to, feel free to reach out to us and let us know because we value your feedback as we figure out this process. And if you like what you're listening to and you think you know someone who'd like it too, please give us a share. Let your friends know about the podcast or give them the link directly. We really want this content to reach the masses. We do think there is some importance of what we're uh, chatting about in these conversations. And we really need your help to make sure that we reach everyone that we can. So if you like what you're listening, please help us out and tell your friends. Thank you so much and uh, stay tuned for the next episode.